This is the evening sermon from Hillcrest Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. Pastor Gary W. Custis is preaching. For more information on Hillcrest Bible Church, please visit our website at hillcrestbible.org. This morning as we were looking at the Upper Room Discourse, we recognized that the disciples were somewhat startled by the idea of tribulation or persecution. They may have been startled and surprised, but we are not surprised. And we should not be surprised for a couple of reasons. First, we have all of church history as as a witness. And when you look at church history, you see uh, throughout the history of the church and at various times in a very strong manner, uh, you have um, great persecution and the shedding of blood and people bearing witness as martyrs unto the grace of God. And secondly, most importantly, is we have the witness of Scripture. And the Word of God warns us we will face afflictions, trials and tribulations, persecutions, sufferings, distress, and difficult times. And all of these are a common experience of Christians in the world uh, today. And this is not because God is overwhelmed, or He is defeated, or He has forgotten us, or somehow He is out of control. Instead, the scriptures tell us that he is accomplishing his purposes in the world today through suffering. And this is exactly what God did through his son. And this is what God is doing through the ministry of his people. He's doing it through us today. Jesus Christ was triumphant through suffering. And we will be triumphant through suffering. And this is God's design purpose. Jesus Christ secured the victory. We do not secure the victory. We walk in the victory of Christ. And as we suffer, God is sanctifying us. And as we suffer, God is providing for us. And as we suffer, God is giving us grace. And as we suffer, God is leading us to glory. Now, we might choose a different way. But this is God's perfect plan for us. And we follow Christ. We walk in His victory. We walk by His example. We walk by God's grace. And we walk to glory. And as um, sometimes when I'm thinking about speaking and I'm sort of um, confronted by a, a statement or statements in the Bible that are amazing. And I was reading really in Psalm 118, and, and, and turn to this psalm just for a moment. Um, but in S- Psalm 118, uh, we, we have a, a, a psalm that is, is really rejoicing in, in the, the victory of, of, of God, and the victory, the provision of the Lord. And uh, you, you'll notice in this psalm that... Um, um, it, it speaks of the stone which the builders rejected. Where that's where, what's going to take us to the Peter passage we're looking at. But I was reading Peter and I was reading this psalm. And, and as you're reading both together, it's, 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 it's really interesting to see uh, the harmony and, and the significance of, of this passage. It, it always sort of bothered me in Psalm 118. It's just me. 
But it sort of bothered me that all of a sudden in, in verse 22 it starts talking about the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And you look at that and I say, in a, in a, I say in a, in a right, with a right attitude, why is that here? And not only why is that here, but did the readers in the Old Testament see this as a messianic statement? That's also sort of interesting to think about. But when you look at Psalm 118, I'm going to read this through in just sections, but it's, it's really praising God for His deliverance, the, the God who provides. And it's a psalm I think we can all identify with, but the, the psalms are, are, are terrific because they address the reality of life. You, you, can, you can see a psalm, in, in a lot of times you read a psalm, and, and one of the first verses is, the God whose loyal love never fails. And a few verses down, you, you hear the psalmist say, please, Lord, don't forget me. He's like, how did you get to please, Lord, don't forget me when you're talking about the loving kindness, that the loyal love of God is eternal. It's just, but that's our wandering hearts. That, that's our human experience. I think one of the reasons why people love the psalms is because uh, they address this life in this world and with all the complexities of life that, that we face. But notice the psalmist. And at first he's, he's praising God for his loyal love. And look at first four verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good because his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say his mercy endures forever. And uh, this mercy, this is the, the merciful, loyal love of God. And um, His mercy is, is, is certainly his, his provision or His favor in the context of, of, mercy, uh, of, of a miserable condition, in, in the context of trouble or difficulty. And... Uh, we love the mercy of God because we encounter troubles. And we pray, dear God, help me. I'm miserable. And God provides for us. That's mercy. And say, so gives thanks to the Lord. And, and whether you are the house of Aaron or, or whether you are uh, the house of, of Israel or whether you are those who fear the Lord, and everyone is included in this. That's why this is a wonderful statement. So now he's going to tell a story. And in verses 5 through 9, he says, I called and he answered. I called on the Lord in distress. And the Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord to put confidence in man. It is better to trust the Lord than put confidence in princes. And... David speaks as the king, and he speaks of those who oppose the kingdom, and, and those opposing the kingdom are perhaps viewed a little differently than those who view the church and oppose the church today. But in David's day, it was destruction to those who opposed the, the, the kingdom, the kingdom that God was establishing. But he says, the Lord's on my side. And what can man do? 
when he talks about the favor of God uh, coming in, in his circumstances, I called to the Lord in my distress, and the Lord answered me. So this is, this is triumphant. He goes on and speaks about being surrounded. This is the, the difficulty of his circumstance in verses 10 through uh, 14. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. You push me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Surrounded. No way out. Not only a miserable situation, but a helpless one in which if the Lord doesn't provide, you're overwhelmed. He says the Lord provides. And the destruction of his enemies, he speaks of that here in this passage. And then he enters into this rejoicing because of the hand of the Lord. In verses 15 through 18, he says, The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. And here he's rejoicing, and and the hand of the Lord really speaks of of the personal touch of God in that situation. I always want this to say the arm of the Lord because that speaks of God, His right hand, His, his right arm is the arm of strength. And when He speaks of His hand, He speaks of the, the personal touch. And, and the Lord's touch upon Him was taken to be very personal. And here's what He mentions here in this passage. The, the right hand, the hand of the Lord's strength coming to help Him. And placing the Lord placing His hand upon Him. And He rejoices. This is a glorious thing. And so he, he speaks of the, the gates of the righteousness that's being opened and, and, and giving thanks in verses 19 through 21. Open to me the gates of righteousness and I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. And this is, a, again, just this, this glorious theme. And you might think that the psalm could, could really end there. But then you have this, this statement about the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was marvelous. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which this Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Let me just stop there for a second. We like to sing that song, This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has. And usually when people sing that song, they're speaking about the day today. That's not what this psalm is speaking about. This is talking about this, the day when the stone that was rejected was made to be the cornerstone. This is the day when God took Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone, the rejected cornerstone, and exalted him and made him to be the chief cornerstone of of really the church. He speaks of that in the New Testament. We're going to see that in a moment. And, and the reason why this is here is because God accomplishes His purposes in the context of suffering, and Christ becomes the great example of that. 
And one of the reasons why we suffer is because God accomplishes his purposes in the context of suffering. And Christ becomes our example. And the reason for mentioning this is it's like saying, I give thanks to the Lord for what he's done for me because I was in great distress and he took me and, and I, I was abandoned and I was surrounded and, and all seems lost. And then God takes that and he accomplishes his purposes. And there you see Christ abandoned and forsaken and rejected by the nation. And, and then God takes him and exalts him and out of, the, out of this really this, the, the rubble of hopelessness, he establishes the greatness of his kingdom. And you you look at this and you say, this is what God is doing, not only with the Lord Jesus Christ, but he does it with us as well. And that's why when you see the the tribulation and the suffering, it isn't that God is punishing us. It isn't that God is being mean to us. It's not that God plays with his creation. It's God's accomplishing his purposes in such a way is that we see our own hearts as we are, our own unworthiness, our own inability, and we see Him. What's the first thing that happens to you in the midst of tribulation and difficulty? Is it not that you come to God and you say, God, help me. I'm in trouble. I need help. Would we ever cry out to God in this world, in this condition, or would we always rely upon our own strength and say, well, I can can just do better, and here we come with difficult circumstances, and I'm just going to try harder? But the Lord brings us to the end of ourselves, even through suffering, even through affliction, even through trials and tribulations, and all of the things that we see, so that we see Him more clearly, and see the victory of, of Christ more clearly. You look at this and say, the way in which God was dealing with the psalmist is the way that God would deal with the Messiah. And so he says in verses 25 to the end, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. He has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with the cords and the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God. I will exalt you. O give thanks to the Lord. His mercy endures, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. So this is a triumphant psalm of an afflicted psalmist who is rejoicing in the provision of God and seeing the the, the pattern of God in in dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now turn to 1 Peter. And when you look at at 1 Peter, this also is, is a passage that is talking about tribulation. Read through the whole epistle of First Peter sometimes. Sit down. I think, it's, I think it's really good to read the epistles, even the gospels sometimes, in one sitting. Just read through the whole thing. When you see the whole thing, you sort of see the, the flow of thought that is, that is taking place. And Peter is mindful of, of what God is doing. And he says, what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us in our salvation is sure and certain. It's secure. And 
Now we have tribulation. I think Peter, I say I think, we can ask him when we get to heaven. But when he is writing this, his, this epistle, I think he's thinking about the upper room discourse. Because that's what the Lord was, was talking about. He said, in this world you're going to have tribulation. And I don't think the, the disciples thought much about that. They heard him say those words, but I don't know what they were thinking. They were thinking the kingdom of God and all the great things to come. Peter now expands upon that by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's his word. But expanding upon this, and what he says is, you have this sure salvation, though now you're going to be facing difficulties, trials, tribulations, difficulties. So be holy. So press on. Follow the example of Jesus Christ. And, and that's really the message. You'll see oftentimes he'll refer to, you know, this is what your duty is. It will be challenged. Follow the example of Christ. This is your duty. It will be challenged. Follow the example of Christ. You can go through and you can look at this. It's over and over again. It always comes back to Christ, our example. It doesn't mean that Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, was only an example at the cross. He was an atoning sacrifice substitutionary atonement, but he also is the example. So notice, let me just read little sections of this and then we'll get to our passage. This is one of those passages that I think that drives Jim crazy when he asked me, now what passage exactly were you speaking on? It seems like you were speaking all over the place, and I'm, I'm sorry about that, but I, I do tend to wander, and, and this is one of those wandering messages. But notice, notice how this passage begins. Verse 3. Our inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's like that... The storehouse of your salvation is secured by God, and He secures you. That's what this passage is saying. So you have the wealth of His salvation secured in heaven for you. It's kept by God, and He keeps you for that inheritance. That's a terrific statement. Notice what he says. In this you greatly rejoice, though now... Notice the statement, for a little while, for a little while. Now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise the honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says you're going to be distressed by various trials. You have this glorious inheritance. And almost when you read this, you feel like saying, give it to me now. I want this now. Isn't that? We want to be in the glorious presence of God. 
with this inheritance. And we would say, I would love if the Lord would come this evening, we'd all be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's what we would enter into, this glorious provision of, of the salvation that Jesus Christ has accomplished, all of Christ, all of God, all for His glory, all for our great blessing. There it is. But for a little while, for a little while, he says, mindful of the same kind of thing that was said by Jesus Christ, for a little while you're going to have sadness, for a little while you will be rejoicing. And here we have this a little while statement again. Now, for a little while, you've been grieved by trials, but there is purpose in the trials. The purpose in these trials is to affirm your faith, is to prove, to approve by testing your faith. Not to destroy you, not to discourage you, but to affirm you and to affirm what what God is doing. The genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold. Your faith and trust is in Him and rejoicing in the salvation of your souls. We know the outcome. We know the end of the story. I like to think that when you look at your life, your life is like a book to God. And when you look at the final chapter, it's glory. And the final chapter then ends with eternity. But it's glory. And it's as if the, the, the Peter in this passage is saying, don't forget the last chapter. Because the last chapter is where all the rest of this story is leading. And this is your life. And God is leading you to this glory. Don't, don't ever forget that. So he says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was, who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look. And they wondered about it. The Old Testament saints wondered about it. They didn't know they were writing these things of the, of, of the, 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 the sufferings and the, and the glory that would follow. But that's what God has accomplished. That's what He's accomplishing in Jesus Christ. That's what He's accomplishing in you. In the, in the difficulties that you face in your life, that's what God is accomplishing in you. Affirming your faith. Proving your faith. So then you look at the commands that, that are given. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up your loins, just like you're in a race. Take off. Start running. He talks about being holy. He talks about loving one another. He says, all of these truths, it's, it's like he's saying, you know where you're going. And, and Peter says, I, I know this because I, that's what Jesus was talking about in the upper room. That's what he was talking I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where I am, there you may be also. In the world you'll have tribulation. There'll be a good cheer. I've overcome the world. He's talking about these difficulties and trials, but, but it's not just putting us through the ringer. 
just because God does not have any other way of doing things. It's putting us through the ringer that we may see under the pressure of afflictions the glory of God. That we may see peace in the presence of affliction. That we may see His provision in the presence of affliction. That we may see Christ in a greater way in the presence of afflictions. That we may see Him. So that's the, the thrust of this. And, and you're going to have these, they're sort of, it, it'll repeat. It'll go and talk about, you know, husbands and wives. It'll talk about slaves. And it comes back to talking about Christ. Christ becomes the example. Because you see, just as God was accomplishing His purposes through the sufferings of Christ, so He's accomplishing His purposes through your suffering. And just as He was victorious through Jesus Christ, He's going to be victorious in our lives through Jesus Christ, but victorious as we walk in that victory of Jesus Christ. So now I want to look at this passage in 1 Peter. The clock is right. The clock wasn't right, right this morning, but it has been fixed. So it is right. But now we're going to talk about stone theology or rock doctrine. After this morning's Sunday school talking about music, I'm a little hesitant to speak rock doctrine. That might be taken by some to be something else. But this is a stone theology rock doctrine. Here we go. And notice verses 4 and 5 of of chapter 2. He says, uh, desiring the word of God, uh, the Lord tasted that the Lord is gracious. He talks about that. He says, coming to him... And now it's going to use the imagery, Christ as a living stone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Notice that verse 4 talks about Christ. And verse 5 talks about you. Catch the significance. It's first Christ and what He does and how He did what He did through Christ. Now, how He is doing through you. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Here is Jesus Christ, chosen by God. Precious to God. Presented and rejected by men. You say, well, that shouldn't happen. You know, Jesus Christ should have come and he should have been received as the Messiah that he is. He should have been received as the Son of God and the Savior that he is. He should have been received as all those things, but he was not. So here is God presenting God the Son. God presenting God. And when God presents God, he is rejected. It doesn't sound like things are going well on this presentation. Coming to him as a living stone. He's the living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also. Living stones are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we're built upon this living stone, the cornerstone. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejected. But God put him in place. And then God is building us as living stones into this. We are being built up into a spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer up sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And the sacrifice that we offer is our own lives. The sacrifice that we offer to God is worship and praise. But here we are in this world 
based upon this rejected stone, and we are stones placed upon this in order that we might be to the praise and the glory of God. Interesting, uh, interesting terminology, but he's taking that obviously from the Old Testament Scriptures. Because when he describes this pathway... And there's, there's a pathway that you're going to see, as I've mentioned before, there's a pathway you see in this whole of, of Peter as you read it, where, we, where the living, chosen of God, precious to God, rejected by men, established by God. And that's what the church is. The church of Jesus Christ is persecuted. The church of Jesus Christ is, is rejected. Just like Jesus Christ was rejected. So what happens to the rejected church? Does it fall apart and go away? The answer is no, it's established. It's precious to God. As Jesus Christ is precious. And he's accomplished his purposes. Here's this household that's being built in in a world of rejection. To the glory of God. The church of Jesus Christ. It's what God is doing. And this this is the, the pathway. This is the stone theology of God accomplishing His purposes in the context of human rejection to the glory of God. True of Christ, true of you. That's what God is doing. And Christ becomes our example, then we look to Him. And that's why Peter will always be looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does so here. Notice what he says. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion... A chief cornerstone, chosen, elect, chosen, precious. And he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. So he says, therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He's quoting three passages in the Old Testament. And the first passage that he quotes is from Isaiah 28, verse 16. And here he speaks of the divine placement of the cornerstone. The Jews said, we don't need the Messiah, and they shoved him aside. And when they were shoving him aside, God was putting him carefully in place for all the rest that he was going to do throughout all of church history in terms of the establishment of the church and the building up of this household to the praise and the glory of God. And this is for all believers. He who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. This is, this is the hand of God. This is what he's doing. But you look in this passage and it says it's rejected. So he quotes from Psalm 118. We just got through looking at Psalm 118, verse 22. He's the rejected stone. They wanted to pick up the cornerstone, and they wanted to throw it away. But we don't need that. And they take what God is doing that is precious, and what God is doing with His chosen Son, with what He has chosen and what He has chosen to do. And they say, we don't, we don't need that. We, th- we, we throw it away. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Like they take it and they throw it away and it's there in place. They don't want to throw it away again, but it's in place. 
It's, it's, it's what God is doing. The God who is accomplishing through rejection his purposes. The God who is accomplishing through tribulation his purposes. And that's why it, it is, when you look at this, this text at this, at this point, and you see what, what, what happens with Jesus Christ is also what, what happens with us. That's why we walk in the victory of Jesus Christ, but we walk in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. But God is, is, is accomplishing his purposes, and, and, and that's why Peter says, keep your eye on the prize. Understand this inheritance that, that can, no one can ever touch this. What Jesus Christ accomplished in being the cornerstone is laying this inheritance for you that's, that's, that's there for you in heaven. And, and there it is. And no matter what happens to you here in this life, no, none can take that away. They can't remove that. It's yours. It's, it's for you. You say, but I'm, I'm, I'm burdened down by afflictions. I'm, I'm burdened down with difficulties. What do you mean by these kinds of difficulties? I say everything that is a discouragement to you. Everything that is a discouragement to you as a Christian. And I, you know, you listen sometimes to the world's music. And when the world encounters difficulties, if you listen to the music, what the world encounters difficulties, what they say is, we'll come together and help you. That's the sort of the, the, you know, when you encounter difficulty, I'll come alongside you and I'll be your help. There's no mention of God. But the world knows what it is to encounter difficulties because this world is full of difficulties. It's in a fallen, broken world for everyone. It's broken and fallen for all. But for us as Christians, it is broken and fallen and there's persecution and there are these opposing forces that are seeking to discourage us in every aspect of our Christian life. And, and this whole thing comes like this wave of, of discouragement in, in our faces and, and comes before us to discourage us with reference to the things of Christ. And we don't say, well, what we need is to come alongside one another. That's one of the reasons why we gather in the church. We come together to minister to one another and to be an encouragement to one another. But most of all, what we need is we need the Lord. And we say, dear God, help us. Dear God, I'm being overwhelmed by the difficulties of life. And what I need is I need you. I need your provision. I need you to help me out of the distress that I'm in. Or give me peace in the midst of this distress. And sometimes God gives peace. Sometimes He gives deliverance. Sometimes He gives you endurance. God accomplishes purposes in many different ways. But always He takes you through to glory. That's, that's the, the wonderful thing that you must never lose sight of. Always He takes you through. He did with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Christ in His life and His ministry was a great failure. It's, it's the greatest ministry ever. A lot of people claim to do miracles. Christ indeed accomplished miracles. He is the Son of God. He was able to give sight to the blind. He was able to give uh, healing to the, the people who were lame. And, and He was able to, 
to uh, really heal everyone that came into his presence. He delivered individuals who were demon-possessed. He accomplished so great a ministry, and then he taught the truth. And he taught the truth that is the saving truth, that brings you into right relationship with God. I mean, this is a spectacular, glorious ministry. And he comes to the end of his ministry, and he is rejected, and he is tried, and he is crucified, and he's all alone. That's amazing. And in terms of his ministry, outwardly speaking, he's a failure. I mean, he should have come as the Messiah, and everyone said, the Messiah is here, let us rejoice and be glad, and let's rejoice in the kingdom of God, let's make him king and live forever. Instead, they said, we don't want him, we don't need him, and they crucified him. We crucified him. And you you look at this and you say, "This, this should not be. But God is accomplishing His purposes in, 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 in Jesus Christ to, to demonstrate that, that out, of, out of really this, the, the, the nothing, He brings everything down to nothing in order that He shows the glory of all that He accomplishes. It has to be Christ alone at the cross. It's Christ alone who secures our victory. It's Christ all by Himself. And the ministry, this glorious ministry, needed to be brought to Christ alone in order that we might see our salvation is in Christ alone. And so we see that glorious truth, and then he becomes the cornerstone of this, of this church of Jesus Christ, this glorious church from beginning to end of all of, of the church age, to, to the glory of God, accomplishing this wondrous thing. And he's at work in your life, and he's sanctifying you, and he's going to glorify you, and you're being built up. And you look at all the difficulties that you're going through, and it's like, he said, just remember where you're going and what you, what you have. And in the context of this suffering, he affirms your faith. He's not wasting the suffering on you. He's accomplishing His purposes in your life. Always remember that. It's easy just to see life as just the one difficulty after another, problems, blessings, good times, the bad times, the difficulty, confusion, the clarity. You have the whole of human experience before you. But it is God who is saying, I want you to see all of this in light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to see all of this in light of the provision that I make for you. So he says this, this, is, this is stone theology. This is, this is showing that what God does is, is he, accomplish, he accomplishes his purposes in the context of suffering that we might see him. Might see him in Christ, might see him in he's accomplished, all that he's accomplishing in our lives. Well, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But notice what he says about you. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the mar- his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's why you can go to Psalm 118. <laughs> And praise God for His mercy. And you can take Psalm 118 and claim it for your own. The God who shows Himself to be merciful. Because here is what God has done. He's bringing you out of darkness into light. He has brings you from no mercy to mercy. That's what God wants you to see. 
And so in this life, we say, I'm, I'm a part of this chosen race, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. I belong to Him. I'm part of this, this building, this structure. We are built part one another, a part of this building. And we are this chosen race, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's how God looks at us. When I look at myself, it's hard to be saying, well, I'm this, I'm chosen of God, I'm a, a royal priesthood, I'm a, a holy nation. He's speaking of this, this structure that God is, is accomplishing. That we might see that we become from darkness to light, from no mercy to mercy. So be encouraged in your faith. When you look at a passage like this and Christ becomes uh, really the the key to the whole. He's not only who accomplished so great a salvation for us, but He's the one who provides the example of how to live this life. Be encouraged. Never lose sight of the blessings that God has in store for you. Never lose sight of the fact that He doesn't bring you into suffering in order to lose you to that suffering. But He brings you through that you may see that God is the one who brings us from darkness to light, and He's the one who brings us from no mercy to mercy. This is what God is accomplishing. And uh, Peter wants us not, and he wanted the people that he was writing to, not to be discouraged by the difficulties, the fiery trials that they were facing. Fiery trials that they were facing. Not to be discouraged. But to understand that God was at work in them. And we're not a side issue, we're the main issue. You and in the way in which God's dealing with your life... You are the main issue to God, as if God has no other issue. He's established you upon this cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are key to that whole structure. You and God's purpose for you. And the reason why you see distress and suffering is that you may see Him. And you may see His provision. And you may see His presence. And you may see His peace. And you may see Him in the face of trials that you may say, Glory be to God. This is what God is accomplishing through me. It's wonderful to know that God is at work in our lives. Never forget that. The end is secure. He's working to bring us to the end. And He's working to bring us to the end so that we will love Him more and appreciate Him more and and realize that what we have, we have from Him. That's what God is doing in your life. So every one of our lives... Every single one of us, we're different people. And we are going through different problems. And we're all unique. But we're all precious to God. And He's bringing us to glory. And He wants us to see Him. And the more I think we live our lives, I said, the more it becomes important, most important, to see Him. To see the Lord Jesus Christ day by day. And may God encourage us to see less of ourselves and more of the Lord Jesus Christ and see the victory that He's accomplished and the, and the victory that is in store for us and the glory of God that He upholds for us. May God lead us in victory in Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You that just as You were at work in Jesus Christ at the cross, You were at work in our lives. We're thankful that each one of us is precious in your sight, is chosen in your sight, is holy unto you. 
is a royal priesthood. We, we are so special to you, Heavenly Father, and for this, we are so thankful. And we're thankful to say, you, you have never forgotten us. You have never overlooked us. And when we encounter difficulty, you never leave us alone. You're always with us. And you're always accomplishing your purposes. Help us to abide in Christ. Help us to depend upon you. Help us to see you in all of our struggles. The little struggles, the great struggles, all the struggles. May we see more of you and less of ourselves. May we see your purposes being accomplished, bringing us to glory. You never forget. Sometimes we forget the things of glory and the blessings that are in store for us. You never forget. Sometimes we lose sight of what you're doing in our lives. You never lose sight. We're thankful that you are keenly aware of your purpose for our lives and you're directing us day by day and bringing us closer and closer to the glory that you have for us. So thank you for keeping us and thank you for blessing us and thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and thank you for the blessings we have only in him, only Christ. Thank you for the blessings you give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the evening sermon at Hillcrest Bible Church. In addition to our website, hillcrestbible.org, you can follow us on Facebook under Hillcrest Bible Church or through Twitter under Hillcrest Bible. You can also subscribe to the sermon podcast on our sermons page or directly in iTunes.